welcome in to Wire to Wire, the Athletics Fantasy Football Waiver Wire Show. We are here on Monday, one game left on the Week 2 docket, Cleveland Browns and New York Jets on Monday Night Football. But Week 2 basically behind us, we're getting you ready for Week 3. I am your host, Michael Beller, joined by my Wire to Wire co-host, Brandon Funston. Brandon, how was Week 2 for you? Oh man, I'm str- I'm struggling to be honest with you. Uh, just it's been one of the roughest starts uh, to my fantasy football career. So uh, not without hope though. All the teams losing, you know, losing a lot of high scoring games. So I gotta just, you know, I guess gotta keep grinding. And uh, part of that is diving into this waiver wire and making sure I get the right guys to help me out. Yeah, week two was was an, a weird one. I think a lot of uh, our listeners, a lot of people across the fantasy community are going to feel uh, the same way that you do going into this because uh, it was a low-scoring week. I'm in, I'm in nine leagues where I have to set lineups, not including best ball leagues across uh, all three of the major uh, providers, or four, I guess you want to include my fantasy league. And So it's, this isn't just a, uh, a projection error by one site. I would say that across all my leagues, something like 75 or 80% of teams scored less than their projections this week. So kind of a kind of a weird week, unless you had, uh, you know, maybe Dalvin Cook or, or Matt Breida, someone along those lines who really carried you. Uh, got, probably got a lot of people feeling not great about their teams heading into week three. Yeah, and you know, one one kind of theme of the week was a lot of early outs for some of the bigger name players. So I'm sure that had, you know, something to do with it. Guys like Drew Brees and Ben Roethlisberger and Alshon Jeffrey and, uh, you know, James Conn. There was guys that, mm-hmm. you know, didn't play full games that were um, predominantly started across leagues. And I'm sure that had something to do with the impact. We'll get to the big Ben Roethlisberger news in a second. If you haven't heard, he is done for the season, going for elbow uh, surgery. And given the retirement talk Ben has had previously, could be the end of his career. We don't want to speculate on that just yet, however. But again, we'll talk about that in a second. We're going to start off wire to wire on our Monday show, as we always do, with our top waiver picks of the week. This does not matter uh, position. We'll get into position by position uh, after this, but this is regardless of position, the top guys that we think you should be going after in your fantasy leagues. First guy at the top of our list, narrowly our winner for week two, headed into week three, is Raheem Mostert. Uh, Obviously, he was a popular guy last week, uh, and if he's still sitting out there on your waiver wire, probably your last opportunity to get him after what he did in the 49ers drubbing of the Cincinnati Bengals. 13 carries, 83 yards, caught three passes for 68 yards and a long touchdown. That's 151 yards from scrimmage and a score uh, split time with uh, uh, Matt Breida and Jeff Wilson got a couple of rushing touchdowns. It's going to be a tough situation to judge every single week. But uh, Brandon, I think Raheem Mostert absolutely needs to be owned in every competitive fantasy football league. Yeah, I mean, you look at the 49ers right now, they're absolutely rolling on the ground. Um, you know, well, at least they they have 66 running back carries, which is a league high. So um, there's a there's a platoon going here, and that's the Kyle Shanahan way. But there's also a lot of you know, it's a fairly big pie to be sharing. So I think this uh, backfield can certainly support two running backs in in Moster and Matt Breda and and support them in the way that you're going to want to play them in your fantasy lineups in any kind of competitive, uh, you know, 12 team plus situation. So um, 
Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. Raheem Mostert looked very good. I think we talked about on the last show that uh, he was a guy last year that had uh, six plays of 15 plus yards. That was tops among anybody, tops percentage among anybody with at least 40 touches. So he's got some some big play potential. We saw that on Sunday, and I'm with you on Mostert. Yeah, we have to go into this with eyes wide open. Matt Breida had 12 carries for 121 yards. He's not going anywhere. We know what he did last year. Jeff Wilson. 10 carries, so that's a little bit of a fly in the ointment. 34 yards, so nowhere near the efficiency of Brita or Mostert, but two touchdowns. So this is going to be something that we uh, have a lot of trouble projecting from week to week. But again, uh, with with what they're asking of Mostert, uh, especially with what he did in the receiving game, uh, to me, Brandon, it feels like if anyone's going to be the one-for-one replacement for Tevin Coleman while he's nursing this ankle injury, it's going to be Mostert. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, it's interesting. If you go off off the game script from yesterday, uh, Sunday against the Bengals, I mean, Jeff Wilson had five carries inside the red zone, and that led the team. That was like near the tops in the league. And, you know, Monster had, what, three, four catches and so it, you kind of get this feeling that Matt Breida is, is sort of is sort of the between the twenties guy, and in the passing game that maybe it's Monster is going to get a little bit more of the run there, and then down the goal line it's going to be Jeff Wilson. So it's a very it's shaping up as a very specialized kind of backfield like you get out of New England and Philadelphia, and you know they're going to have to continue to have these you know lucrative days like they did against the Bengals for this to to satisfy everybody it's a little bit you know disconcerting if you're a matt Brito owner and i'm raising my hand because i have him everywhere <laughs> you know and the narrative in in the preseason was that they were going to move Brito around and they're going to use him you know a lot in the passing game and i wonder if that's changed a bit just because tevin coleman's out and so they've had to re restructure some roles back there to fit uh the people's talent so uh it'll be interesting to watch but if you go off of uh the game against the Bengals, uh you're kind of seeing where these guys are you know maybe all going to slot in in this offense yeah looking like kyle shanahan's dream offense getting to use these <laughs> specialized running backs in the ways that we know he has always loved in his coaching career especially going back to the days when he made devonta freeman and uh tevin coleman one of the best backfields in the league when he was in atlanta let's move on to our second guy here a couple of big uh wide receiver performances for the kansas city chiefs no surprise there but uh, maybe a surprise that it wasn't sammy watkins demarcus robinson and mccall hardman both uh getting in the end zone demarcus robinson is the guy who we're talking about, however, as a top waiver pick this week. Six grabs, 172 yards, two long touchdowns. Really looked like he was in that Tyreek Hill role. McCall Hardman's touchdown was also a deep ball from uh, Patrick Mahomes. Tyreek Hill's out for four to six weeks, the Chiefs are saying. So probably about another month or so, give or take a week here or there, uh, that we're going to be playing without Tyreek Hill. Uh, Brandon, where do you put Demarcus Robinson, or how do you uh, grade Demarcus Robinson on the wire this week. How much are you willing to sink uh, into a bid for him, knowing that Tyreek Hill will be back eventually? Yeah, and they went, and you know, you also have to note that while Watkins didn't have a big day, they went to him a whole lot. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't chemistry wise, wasn't working out uh, on this particular day. But uh, Demarcus Robinson, you look at Tyreek Hill probably being out at least another month. Um, gosh, I mean, he's, he's an athletic guy different than Tyreek Hill. Cause he, you know, he's a, he's a taller receiver, but, uh, you know, and his touchdowns were climb the ladder types where Tyreek Hill, you typically get guys, you know, he's running away from guys a little bit more like Miko Hardman. Um, both of these guys are intriguing as long as Tyreek Hill's out. I'm trying to decide how much I would spend on him for a 
probably a month of a, a really good run, which is, you know, the heart of your fantasy season. These next four weeks are going to be very important to how you set up uh, for your postseason chances. So I'm, I'm saying at least 20%, something seems maybe close to that, uh, maybe a little bit shy of that, just uh, kind of depending on what your need is, you know, a little bit more, a little bit less, depending on your needs. So that's kind of where I'm initially feeling like uh, that's the, you know, the sweet spot. Yeah, it might be a little aggressive for my standards, although I wouldn't – I think something we need to consider here is that um, through two games, it does not look like there is a Kareem Hunt in Kansas City the way there was last year. Uh, Damian Williams, LaShawn McCoy splitting the work in the backfield, and it doesn't look like either of them is going to command the sort of attention that Hunt did last year. So that could uh, have some trickle-down effect to all the pass catchers in Kansas City. Uh, definitely think that both those guys are worth claims this week. I don't know if I would go all the way to 20% on Demarcus Robinson, but I would be making a bid sort of along the lines of, you know, maybe what I did for John Ross or Terry McLaurin last week, maybe more in the 10% range. Definitely think both those guys, uh, both those guys being uh, Hardman and Demarcus Robinson worth going after here as we get ready for week three. Uh, last guy I want to talk about before we go position by position is in Pittsburgh. It is not Mason Rudolph. We will get to him in a second. He is certainly in the spotlight for the Steelers with Ben Roethlisberger being out for the rest of the season. But it's Jalen Samuels. James Conner, as you mentioned, Brandon, also left that game with a knee injury. No word yet on the severity of his injury, and we might not have any before waiver runs are processed in most leagues on Wednesday morning. But still, even with Ben being out, if James Conner is forced to miss any sort of time, Jalen Samuels is a guy who would step right into a huge role in Pittsburgh's offense. And just that speculative possibility makes him someone that we think is going after in a serious way in all fantasy leagues right now. Yeah, I'm so mad. Uh, right before uh, this weekend, I cut Jalen Samuels in one league to pick up Ty Montgomery off the news that Le'Veon Bell, you know, uh, his health was iffy. And so I was was thinking, you know, that he would be a plug and play for Le Le'Veon Bell. And now Le'Veon Bell is healthy. And now James Conner is going in to have his knee looked at. And I'm, I love Jalen Samuels going into the season. I thought he was going to actually have a decent role, even if James Conner um, was healthy. And it didn't really look like that in week one. So that's why I was willing to kind of cut him loose. Um, but in terms of one injury away handcuffs, I thought Jalen Samuels was right up there, probably in the top five in the league. Things change a little bit with no Ben Roethlisberger. We'll see. Um, you know, that that kind of curbs the upside, we think, of this offense uh, with Roethlisberger out. But Pittsburgh liked Jalen Samuels a whole lot. Former tight end, uh, ran the ball well in Connors you know, absence last year when he went down for a couple games. And uh, this has long been a lucrative backfield in fantasy, a good offensive line. And they've, they've, you know, put up big running back numbers for years. So Jalen Samuels, absolutely a guy that you is a must grab. If James Connors is out, you know, four, three, four weeks or even more, uh, you're going in for a lot of money on Jalen Samuels. Yeah, and that remains the case, even though Ben Roethlisberger is done for the season. So let's get to that discussion here, Brandon. We'll save our potential uh, Juju wide receiver one vigil for our ranking show with Jake <laughs> Seeley on Wednesday. I'm sure we'll get into that 48 hours from now. Let's just talk about the waiver wire guys here. So first, Mason Rudolph, 
He's going to be added in all Superflex leagues. He's probably not a 1QB uh, target just yet, but certainly Superflex, he's going to be someone of uh, of a lot of note given that he's going to be the starter now, likely for the rest of the season. Went 12 for 19 after coming in for Roethlisberger yesterday. 112 yards, that's just less than six yards per attempt. Did throw two touchdowns, threw a pick. Uh, looked pretty crafty on one of his touchdown passes to Vance McDonald. Uh, looked like he had a pretty good command of uh, of the pocket and of the offense on that play specifically. Uh, can't fault him for uh, you know not having the uh, most efficient day after being thrown into the fire unexpectedly halfway through uh, what was eventually a 28-26 loss to the Seattle Seahawks. Um, where are you on Rudolph's uh, – the way that this offense changes with Rudolph? Uh, obviously, like I said, he's going to be someone who everyone in Superflex Leagues is going after because every quarterback has value in those formats. But how do you uh, grade the rest of this offense now that Rudolph's going to be the guy for the foreseeable future? Yeah, um, well, you know – it's interesting. I thought he, I watched this entire game. I thought he looked pretty good. He looked pretty poised. Um, I didn't think that the Steelers had a noticeable drop off offensively when when Roethlisberger went out. Um, but that could be because Roethlisberger was also playing with that sore elbow and was, mm-hmm. you know, obviously complaining about it during the time. But um, it'll be interesting. I think, you know, this is I mean, Dante Moncrief completely AWOL. Um, yeah, can I take a victory and- lap on Moncrief yet or what? Well, it's not, it, I guess you kind of can because it's not, but it's not that James Washington's done anything either. That's kind of the, that's kind of the it's issue, true. but, uh, um, but yeah, I'm ready to cut all my Moncrief shares uh, that I have at this point. And it looked like Juju Smith-Schuster still had, I, I'd like to look and see what the targets were with Rudolph in there, but it seemed like he was still uh, kind of the number one guy there. I think that's going to work out, you know, still okay for Juju Smith-Schuster again, not the upside you had with Ben Roethlisberger, but I think he's going to be all right with Rudolph there and Vance McDonald as well. Uh, we'll see. I mean, James Washington now clearly has the upper hand just because of his background with Rudolph at Oklahoma State. So um, I guess my takeaway is that, again, this the ceiling gets curbed for this offense a bit, but I don't. One thing I will say is that Nick Foles owners that went that went in for Gardner Minshew last week and didn't get him. I think this is an upgrade over what you would have got. Mm with Gardner Minshew. So if you didn't get Minshew last week, here's a better opportunity in my mind. I think I would rather have Rudolph going forward than Minshew. Yeah, definitely probably a better offensive environment. Certainly there's no Juju Smith-Schuster in Jacksonville. So that's certainly not bad. And as you said, Rudolph uh, didn't look bad when thrown into the fire against the Seahawks. You mentioned James Washington, so we should go in on that a little bit. These guys went into Oklahoma State together in 2014. They came out together in 2017, drafted in the same draft class by the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they were quite effective together during their time in Stillwater. They hooked up 198 times for 4,016 yards and 33 touchdowns over three seasons. Rudolph didn't start till their sophomore year, uh, and they looked really like one of the – they were not – they looked like they were one of the best uh, quarterback and receiver duos from 2015 to 2017 uh, in the country. So James Washington, definitely someone who I think you want to consider uh, pretty significantly on your waiver wire this week. Uh, We talk about this all the time. Sometimes we joke about it. Sometimes we mean it seriously. The uh, college connection carrying over, there was a significant one between Rudolph and Washington. So something you're going to want to take a look at on your waiver wire over the next couple of days. Funston, let's get into our position-by-position look at the waiver wire here in Wire to Wire. Uh, We'll go back to the running back position. We'll uh, just touch again briefly on Jeff Wilson. We don't need to spend too much time on this since we discussed the 49ers already. 
Uh, Wilson's going to be a touchdown dependent guy. It seems like that. What sort of leagues are you willing to go after him uh, in fat? Is it someone you're going to be putting claims on regardless of league size, or is there more of a specialized spot for a guy like Jeff Wilson? I think I have, I have nine teams as well. I think two of them are, are deeper than a 12. I think the 12 uh, team owner leagues are like seven of them. And I think I have two deeper ones. I, I wouldn't, I'm not going to be actively going after him in a 12 teamer. Anything deeper than that though. I think he's worthy and we'll see. I mean, as a San Francisco offense continues to get into the red zone uh, a lot. And he truly is kind of the guy they like to use around the, around the end zone. Um, you know, we might have to readjust. And, and move him up a little bit. But for right now, I think he's sort of a specialist and looking like that he will be the guy that they'll use close to the end zone. Yeah, we're on the same page there. Deeper leagues, I'm willing to take a shot. 12-teamers, I will throw him in a bid as sort of a last resort. If I've you know, if mm-hmm. I, I've got a bid for Mostert, I've got a bid for Samuels, I've got a bid for some of these other guys we're going to talk about, and then I'll throw one in for Jeff Wilson just in case I strike out on all those other guys and I still want to make a move for a running back. Wilson certainly could be a guy who's worth going after in that regard. Justin Jackson uh, still available in a big number of leagues, so we got to talk about him for the second straight week. Had uh, almost an identical week to his uh, week one performance for the Chargers. Another big week for Austin Eckler. Justin Jackson, seven carries, 59 yards. Is he anything more than an Eckler handcuff? Uh, I think he's... I think he's potentially flexible as we, you know, week four is the start of the bye weeks. I think in 12 team leagues, he's a guy that might in, you know, especially competitive ones might find his way into some flex spots. I mean, he's getting nine yards to carry right now. And Eckler's had some, had some long touchdowns. I don't think we know for sure. 100% that Eckler is going to always be the guy around the goal line. So, um, I, I think, yeah, I think he's a guy that in 12 team leagues, he could deserve a bench spot. And um, again, he would have some interest through these bye weeks, which start in week four. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're right about the bye week situation. You're, he's not going to be someone who you want to start when your team's full strength, uh, unless Eckler were to go down with an injury. But definitely once the bye week start could be someone who you're not disappointed about getting in because he does look like he's going to be about a 10 opportunity per game guy. And they do use him in the red zone. It's not just Austin Eckler in the red zone. Eckler is their favored guy, but they are willing to use Justin Jackson in the red zone. We've seen him on the field uh, in those situations in both of their first two games. So Definitely someone who uh, is worth a bid this week. Another guy we got to talk about, Brandon. I think we could do you and I could keep <laughs> wire to wire running for like the next ten years, and we'll still be talking about Frank Gore in twenty twenty nine. He'll be pushing sixty, and we'll be talking about Frank Gore still getting it done. Lead blocker for Josh Allen on his uh, on his rushing touchdown. Gore had nineteen carries for sixty eight yards and a touchdown. Two catches for 15 yards. Uh, This is a unique game for Buffalo. Uh, They led for most of it. They led by two scores for a good chunk of it. That's why you saw Frank Gore push up toward 20 carries. The efficiency obviously wasn't there, uh, just about three and a half yards per carry or so, and that's probably going to be the case for him. But he's still stubbornly the starter there in Buffalo. Devin Singletary did score a touchdown, but also left that game late with a hamstring injury, and that could put Frank Gore yet again in line for uh, being almost a workhorse in Buffalo's backfield. Yeah, and interestingly enough, I mean, at least he's worth picking up for this week alone if that hamstring injury for Devin Singletary is something that will cost him playing time next week because he gets Cincinnati, and we've seen Seattle and San Francisco beat up on this Cincinnati run defense. In fact, they've given up the most fantasy points so far through two weeks. So uh, another... You know, near 20 rushes against the Cincinnati Bengals could 
end up working out pretty nicely for fantasy owners. So, and I mean this in the, in the, you know, with all respect and admiration, I mean, Frank Gore is absolutely the cockroach of the NFL. I mean, (laughs) you know, he, when the nuclear war happens, it'll be cockroaches and Frank Gore that are still around. So um, the guys, you know, I I used to say this about Mariano Rivera that I at, so, at a certain point you just stop doubting that the end is coming and just you know let him <laughs> let him be who he is and he'll go out on his own terms. Yeah, I think that's definitely the case for Frank Gore. And as you said, uh, if if um, Singletary is out this week, Frank Gore could find himself in a very lucrative spot against a run friendly. Bengals defense let's wrap up the running back position with Carlos Hyde everyone was ready to hand the uh, starting gig in a big role in Houston to Duke Johnson after Lamar Miller went down for the season in the preseason with a torn ACL but it's been Carlos Hyde who has led this team on the ground 20 carries in the 13 to 12 win over Jacksonville turned that into 90 yards Uh, isn't putting up eye-popping numbers but Two useful fantasy performances out of Carlos Hyde in his first two games with the Texans. Where do you rank him in the running back pecking order this week on the uh, waiver wire? Uh, I mean, 20 carries is, and it's something where with Frank Gore, we feel like, well, when Devin Singletary is fully healthy as the season progresses, we're going to get less Frank Gore and more Devin Singletary. I'm not sure we're going to get less Carlos Hyde. He might be this 15, you know, 15 plus carry guy week in and week out. He's looking. He's running well, and this was a you know a tight game against Jacksonville, and it was kind of telling that they wanted to use Carlos Hyde in that situation, and that maybe Duke Johnson is going to be more in that role that we saw him in Cleveland, where he's just that passing down guy, and they want to go with Carlos Hyde as their as their sort of move the chains and and milk the clock um, running back. And if that's the case, Carlos Hyde is suddenly a lot more interesting than I think we expected him to be when he got traded there. Yeah, you know, Carlos Hyde is a guy that uh, has been dogged for a, a large percentage of his career, but he's given us a, a handful of useful seasons uh, during his time in the NFL since coming out of Ohio State. He's uh, had some nice years with the Browns before getting traded to Jacksonville, and it does look like he's in command of this Houston backfield, at least on the ground. We know what a, a quarterback who's a run threat can do for his running backs in terms of opening holes. Uh, we've seen that from Deshaun Watson in uh, these first two games, certainly, of the season, even in a game where the Houston offense struggled against Jacksonville yesterday, uh, still was able to uh, get something going on the ground for Carlos Hyde. So I'm with you. I think Carlos Hyde is someone who really deserves a lot of uh, attention in fantasy leagues going forward. And if he can maintain a 15-carry average uh, for what we expect to be a pretty strong offense, as long as Deshaun Watson is there, then Carlos Hyde's going to be someone. You talk about someone who you don't necessarily want to start at full strength, but you're happy to turn to in bye weeks. Carlos Hyde is uh, sort of the poster child, or is looking like he could be the poster child for that brand of uh, running back this uh, season. Uh, before we move on to wide receivers, Brandon, let's do what we did last week. Uh, let's let, let's uh, break these guys down uh, in terms of waiver priority. So we've got Raheem Mostert and Jalen Samuels at the top, correct? We like Raheem Mostert and Samuels better than all these guys we just discussed? Yep. Yep. So then the, the, the next four, we've got uh, Wilson, Jackson, Gore, and Hyde. For me, I'm going to do those actually in reverse order. Hyde first, Gore second, Jackson third, Wilson fourth. How about you? Uh, I think I would do exactly the same as you, except for I might flip flop Jackson and Gore in terms of in terms of season long value. I'd mm-hmm. rather bank on Justin Jackson, but uh, if I just need a running back for next week, it's going to be Frank Gore. So I between Jackson and Gore, I would gauge you know how I 
most need to utilize them. So, um, but Hyde for sure, Wilson on the back end for sure, and kind of a, a muddled middle between Gore and Jackson. Yeah, a little short-term, long-term decision-making yeah. between Gore and Jackson. All right, wide receivers up next. Uh, Brandon, I'm going I'm to let us uh, pat ourselves on the back to uh, start off the wide receiver position in our Friday edition of Wire to Wire, which is for subscribers only uh, to The Athletic. And you can still get 40% off a subscription if you go to theathletic.com slash wire to wire. So go ahead and uh, do that when you're done listening to this edition of the show. In that Friday episode last week, we talked about guys who we thought were going to be popular on the waiver wire when you and I were sitting and having this discussion here on Monday. You threw out DK Metcalf and Metcalf had three grabs for 61 yards and a touchdown uh, that gives him seven catches for 150 yards and the score on the season. So uh, go ahead and take uh, take a little victory lap here on DK Metcalf. <laughs> uh, yeah, looking good, man. Um, I think we've brought him up almost every one of our wire to wires as someone to, to keep an eye on or, uh, you know, is going to be someone you're going to want to go after. And I, I think we're, <laughs> we're going to keep banging that drum until we can no longer talk about him because his percentage is above the threshold that we're uh, talking about guys here. So he looks good again. And then his touchdown, you know, that he, he caught a little bobble in the corner of the end zone, got his feet in there. Uh, he's again, he's showing that he's more than the one trick deep threat pony that a lot of people want to paint him as. And, um, you know, and that, again, Seattle's going to run the ball and they're going to thrive off the play action. And Russell Wilson throws a deep ball as well as anybody. So this is something that I think is going to continue. He's going to, he's averaging 75 yards touchdown every, every, every other week. I think it's, you know, the 68 touchdown range with, with you know something close to 60 to 70 yards per game on average is doable for him in this offense and there's not a lot of competition outside of tyler lockett at that wide receiver position so uh, i think those are numbers he can carry along russell wilson almost always going to be able to support two fantasy relevant receivers tyler lockett's going to be one certainly looks like dk metcalf is going to be the other i'm going to take my victory lap on debo samuel he was a guy who i said was going to be uh, someone we discussed in this space and he came through last week for the 49ers five grabs 87 yards and a touchdown got to mention him alongside marquise goodwin who had three grabs for 77 yards and a score as well. San Francisco uh, not going to be putting up 40-plus points every single week, and uh, if uh, the first couple weeks of the season are any indication, this Bengals defense is going to be one we want to target in the fantasy world. Uh, But I really like Samuel. Loved him coming out of college. Thought he had a real opportunity to be the number one receiver for the 49ers, especially when uh, Kyle Shanahan was dogging Dante Pettis all season long or all summer long. Excuse me. That does not seem to be like it was just coach speak. Pettis has been a pretty much a non-entity for the 49ers the first couple of weeks of the season. I like Samuel better than Goodwin. I think both are worth going after this week. But if I can only get one Niners receiver, I'm getting Samuel. How do you break down uh, the, the race between these two guys in San Francisco? Uh, as another, I, I dropped Samuels and Samuel uh, <laughs> on Friday. You got and, Curtis and, Samuel on this team also? Yeah, exactly. I didn't drop him. Um, <laughs> but man, I just, you know, I'm one of those guys that tells everybody else to be patient. And, and then in week two, I'm dropping guys like Debo Samuel. I have a very nice upside. My thought was, well, rookie receiver did nothing in week one. I can always come back to him as soon as he see a little bit of something. And, but when they go for more than a little bit of something and you go five catches, 87 yards and a touchdown, then you're, then you're fighting for him along with everybody else. And that's where I'm at now. I, I like Debo Samuel a lot, liked him a lot at South Carolina. And, um, you know, this, this rookie receiver class is shaping up to be 
you know, very good. We've seen Metcalf and Samuel and Nicole Hardman and Terry McLaurin and Marquise Brown. I mean, there's a bunch of guys popping right now. And there's a lot of people out there. They're like, oh, you never want to bank on rookie receivers. But I, I, there's been at least a few seasons where we've had some great rookie receiver years. And this is kind of shaping up to fall in line with one of those. So I like Debo Samuel a lot. I think eventually you're going to see the 49ers throw more than an average of 26 times per game, which they've done so far. Uh, I think you're going to see that number go up and that's going to be a little bit more lucrative all around for all these guys. But if I'm doing a hierarchy, it's definitely Samuel number one, Goodwin number two, and kind of now Dante Pettis, a, a distant third. Yeah, definitely. I don't even think he's on the fantasy radar at this point, unless you're in a very deep league. You saying Terry McLaurin reminds me to just say off the top that we're not talking McLaurin in this space here today. We're not talking John Ross in this space here today. They don't quite qualify for our ownership rate threshold, but if they are available in your leagues, you definitely want to go after those guys, both of them finding the end zone again in week two. They both look like they are in for potential breakout seasons here in 2019 next receiver on our list is Preston Williams uh, Miami is a complete train wreck uh, already <laughs> this season been outscored 102 to 10 in their two games uh, in their defense they've played Baltimore and New England look like two of the better teams in the league but still 102 to 10 is as ugly as it can realistically get through two games Preston Williams found the end zone in week one four grabs for 63 yards in week two this is a black hole of an offense. If nothing else, Preston Williams looks like he could lead this team in targets. That makes him relevant in fantasy leagues. Yeah, and Devontae Parker did nothing, and he's been a guy that I've kind of been, you know, I, I carried a torch for him since he's since he was drafted as a rookie a few years ago. And, uh, you know, that's not – it's not been very lucrative. But Preston Williams has looked good in each of his first two games. You're right. I mean, this is a this is a terrible team. They're going to throw every week. Um, <laughs> that's just the way it's going to be. So uh, there's going to be potential for, for somebody in this offense. And right now, I, you know, I think Preston Williams is probably – Vegas odds, probably the number one guy here at this point. So we'll see when Albert Wilson gets fully healthy. I'd want to see him in this offense. But right now, Preston Williams, if I'm banking on one of these Miami receivers, is a guy I would go for. Let's lump a couple of uh, slot receivers together for our next discussion here. Uh, we got uh, the current Cowboys slot, Randall Cobb, and the former Cowboys slot in Cole Beasley. Cobb had five grabs for 24 yards in the Cowboys win this week. Cole Beasley had four grabs for 83 yards in the Bills win uh, this week. Either of these guys jumping out at you as you start to make your bids for week three? Uh, well, I think... Cole Beasley looks like he's going to be a regular, like in a, in a full point PPR kind of sense, you know, maybe a deeper one. I would be in, in on Cole Beasley. I think even in a 12 team full point PPR, I might be carrying him as a bench guy. And again, we talk about these by these bye weeks coming up. I could see flexing him uh, in a couple, you know, at least two, three times through the bye weeks. So I think there's some utility for him. Randall Cobb. I'm not, you know, I think he's going to be a little bit more volatile. I'll be interested to see, though, uh, speaking of Dallas, uh, Michael Gallup's going to have an MRI on his knee. And Devin Smith, who caught caught a uh, long touchdown, went for three catches, 74 yards for the Cowboys, was a guy I really liked coming out of Ohio State. Tore his ACL, uh, drafted by the Jets, tore his ACL, never really took off there. But um, he's not a guy that I'm willing to forget just yet. If Michael Gallup has anything where he's going to be out for a little length of time instead of Randall Cobb I might be interested in Devin Smith yeah especially the way that uh, this Dallas passing game and Dak Prescott have looked the first two games uh, you got to throw the caveat out there that uh, 
They have played uh, the Giants and Washington in their first two games, <laughs> a couple of teams that might combine for five or six wins this season. So not exactly the uh, a murderer's row of opponents, but still can't take that away from Dak has looked excellent. This passing game has looked potent. So definitely Devin Smith, Randall Cobb, based on that offense, guys, who should be on your radar. I agree. Cole Beasley looks like he's going to have enough of a role in this Buffalo offense that he is ownable in 12-team formats, especially if you're getting a full point per PPR, or full point per reception, excuse me. Uh, DJ Chark, the next guy I want to bring up, found the end zone for the second straight week. Seven grabs, 55 yards, and a touchdown. That gives him 11 catches for uh, 201 yards and two scores on the season. Dede Westbrook did nothing in this game, had one catch. Um, are we putting any stock into the backup quarterback, backup-ish wide receiver with Gardner Minshew now? They obviously were able to work together a lot this summer uh, in training camp and in exhibition games. Does that give Chark any sort of boost for you going forward? Yeah, I think so. I mean – there's I you know we've we've had that we've seen that before guys that work together in in a backup role and then they're both thrust into a starting role and it's it's worked out well for them and look at this is our first full game that we've seen Gardner Minshew where they've planned coming in and he targeted Shark nine times and D.D. Westbrook did nothing and all the all the talk about D.D. Westbrook was about how Nick Foles clearly favored him as his go-to guy but you know this is a new quarterback and you know maybe Minshew has his as his own favorite guy. And right now it looks like it's DJ shark, but um, you know, you look at the first two weeks, shark is, is scored in both games. He had nine targets in this last one he had 146 yards in the first one. He's the guy who's making plays. And Oh, by the way, he is, he is top level talent in terms of athleticism. He's, he's near the top of the league among wide receivers. He put up, incredible combine numbers and really has kind of that, uh, you know, that number one profile. If you, you know, once he kind of refines all of his skills, if he ever does, uh, he could be as talented as anybody. Yeah. And a big guy too. It's six foot four. So uh, could be a nice red zone weapon for the Jacksonville offense. One that doesn't necessarily have a defined red zone guy to go to uh, through the air. And that's where his uh, touchdown did come a play where the Jags took the snap from, I don't know, maybe the six or seven yard line, something like that. That's where DJ Chark got his score. Jaguars nearly pulling off a huge upset against the Houston Texans. Demir Bird, next receiver I want to discuss with you. Uh, you threw him into our list, uh, so I'll let you take the lead here. He's had seven targets in uh, his first two games, or in both of the first two games, so 14 total on the season. Caught six of them for 45 yards in Arizona's loss to the Ravens in week two. Uh, what do you like about Demir Bird going into week three? Well, he just kind of stands out because I've watched a decent amount of Arizona in the first two weeks, and he keeps being the guy that gets these targets. And they're not, they haven't been that lucrative, but we know this is going to be a high volume attack. And, you know, especially late, it's been Demir Bird who keeps showing up on the TV screen. You know, it's like I, because I have some investment in Christian Kirk, Larry Fitzgerald. So I'm, you know, I'm interested in where these balls are going. I'm like, oh, is it one of my guys? Oh, it's Demir Bird again. <laughs> I, I feel like I keep saying that over and over again. So I think just from the standpoint that he's a guy that's being fairly heavily targeted in what we expect to be the most high volume passing attack is at least worth a mention, if not a big fab bid, um, just because he's, it looks like he's going to be sort of a steady compiler of targets and it may not be super lucrative, but I know in some leagues, you know, and again, we talk about Cole Beasley and PPR leagues. This could be another guy where you're getting steady five catches week in and week out, and that that plays in a lot of leagues. 
Yeah, uh, the Cardinals certainly playing to that expected script. Kyler Murray threw 54 passes in week one. It did go into overtime, but still 54 passes. And 40 yesterday, he's got 657 passing yards on the season. So that is uh, definitely the offense that we expected it to be coming into the season. Uh, Christian Kirk, Larry Fitzgerald, they're going to be the top two guys there. But uh, Demir, there seems to be enough targets to go around to make Demir Bird fantasy relevant. And just one more note on what you said, Brandon, that Christian Kirk, Demir Bird struggle is real. Christian Kirk, number 13, Demir Bird, number 14, Christian Kirk, 5'11", Demir Bird, 5'9". I can't tell you how many times I got those guys confused watching that game yesterday. I know. that's it. I'm with you, man. It's driving me crazy. <laughs> uh, one more receiver uh, to hit on. He has not played yet this season, but just as a quick reminder that he will be back. Golden Tate uh, returns from a suspension in week five, widely available across the fantasy community. So if you're looking for some help at wide receiver, Golden Tate, almost certainly uh, with uh, with Sterling Shepard's injury uh, history and with what he's dealing with already this season, the broken thumb in training camp, the concussion holding him out in week two, Golden, Tape's gonna, Golden Tate excuse me, is going to step into a large role for the Giants once he is back from suspension. Any interest in Benny Fowler in the short term? Uh, you know, I, I kind of had a feeling he was going to do okay. Um, I was more interested in Fowler because Shepard was out. If, if Shepard continues to miss games, like they're, they, they have nobody. I mean, they are down to like the, the dregs there. Cody Latimer, I mean, Darius Slayton's been out. So, um, someone's going to have to make, make catches in this offense. And so it can't just be Evan Ingram and, and all Saquon Barkley. So uh, if, if Shepard continues to miss time, then I would be absolutely in deeper leagues. Benny Fowler is someone you're gonna have to look at. All right. Our wide receiver ranking going to be a little harder to sort out than the backs. Cause we've got more guys to talk about, but we've got Demarcus Robinson at the top. Then I think we've got DK Metcalf and Debo Samuel as our next two. We like them both better than Mark Miko Hardman. I do. Yeah, I do. But Miko Hardman's probably, well, I would probably go shark and then Hardman. Okay. Um, and so I might even put Shark up with with Debo and DK. I think he's right in that mix. I think there's contingency bids right there. You know, I think you, I wouldn't be too upset with any of those guys feeling mm-hmm. like I got appre- appreciably downgraded by landing any of those three. So uh, to me, those are the three, and then Hardman because his his time seems to be you know limited to how long it's going to take for Tyreek right. Hill to get back. Yeah, so I agree with you there. Next guy, the next guy who I would really consider is Beasley, just because it seems like that role, while not necessarily uh, bringing a huge ceiling, is going to be there in Buffalo's offense for him every single week. So definitely a nice depth piece. And then I sort of put the rest of the guys in a jumble. Maybe Demir Bird a little bit ahead of uh, Preston Williams and Randall Cobb and even Devin Smith, just because of what that Arizona offense is going to be. But the, the the rest of that group, or the rest of this group that we just discussed for me is uh, contingency guys, guys who if I miss out on the rest, I'll have some stray bids in for just in case I need an extra receiver. But uh, uh, Robinson, DK, Debo Samuel, DJ Chark, uh, the big prizes on the wide receiver uh, side of the waiver wire for me this week. Yeah, I'm with you, and you know that's a good that's a good group, and hopefully you don't have to you know end up in that contingency world. Uh, there's four good ones there, and uh, hopefully you land one of them. Tight ends, not a big group of guys to talk about this week. Uh, we hit a lot of them last week. Uh, one guy I want to mention just really quick, Chris Herndon. Same thing as Golden Tate. He'll be back from suspension in week five. Should have a big role for the Jets. It'll be interesting to see what this Jets offense looks like tonight against the Browns with Trevor Simeon at the helm. Sounds like he's going to get at least a few starts while Sam Darnold recovers from mono. So interesting. Uh, definitely going to want to watch that. But 
whether it's Simeon, whether it's Darnold, I think uh, Chris Herndon is going to be someone who right when he gets back, we're talking about in that low end tight end one tight end streamer mix. You got the same uh, feel for Herndon. Yeah, absolutely. He's I, you know, Quincy and Nunwa going down, um, you know, eventually when Sam Darnold gets back there after mono, that's he's going to be, I think, a regular fixture in this offense. So I'm with you on Herndon. Only real tight end who jumped up in week two was Will Disley. Five grabs, 50 yards, two touchdowns. You're out there in the Pacific Northwest. You watched this game. Uh, how much staying power do you think Will Disley has? Well, he's going to rank right up there among the top blocking tight ends in the league, and that's huge for Seattle. So what that does is that gets him on the field an awful lot. And uh, how this works out for him is just, you know, he, he should get – now that he's healthy, he should get a lot of snaps. And, again, it's that play action. It's the uh, the seam route. that He has soft hands. He's not super, super athletic, but he has very good hands, and he has uh, enough agility that – you're going to get these kind of days. I mean, he's played six games in his NFL career and I believe he's, you know, he's been a top 10 tight end in three of them. So he's got four touchdowns. I think he's a guy because of his size, they're going to like to continue to use around the end zone. Um, So he's, he's worthwhile. In my mind, overall, he's a top 20 tight end. So, so like very back end, but, but because of that, that's going to play in, you know, two tight end leagues or um, certain scoring formats where, you know, you can you can, you know, decide how important that is for you based upon your league settings. So he's likely not more than a streamer in traditional formats. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't put him in that, you know, top 12 tight end one conversation, but I think he's a nice backup to have and someone you're going to be looking at uh, through bye weeks or you know, the, the Scott Fishbowl League where they get, you know, extra tight end uh, mm-hmm. points, you know, being scored there and things like that. I think you're, you're going to see this. It's, it's going to be a little bit of a roller coaster ride based upon this offense. But there's going to be, again, it's probably, you know, half the time he's going to be interesting and the other half he's going to be a complete dud for you. Is he a guy you'd rather have than, say, Jimmy Graham? I think so. Yeah. And Kyle I Rudolph? Think so. Is, he, is he more than Kyle Rudolph? I would, I would just because of those guys. I mean, Jimmy Graham scored in Week One, but really hasn't done a whole lot, and mm-hmm. and, and Kyle Rudolph hasn't done anything hasn't so far. Thing, yeah, I would chase this because, like I said, we've seen he looked really good. Disney looked really good, and they were really high on him last year, the first month of the season before he, he had the big injury. And um, again, he just fits what they want to do so well, and there is going to be those play action opportunities off of the running game and he's going to be out there a lot because he blocks so well and because when he does go out in the passing game even though he's not super elusive great hands and just a smart player all right let's get to uh, the one more quarterback injury that we need to hit on it's drew Brees, thumb injury he's gonna need surgery he will be back at some point this season uh the saints are initially calling it a six-week timetable for drew Brees, so that'll put him back uh what right around uh, early november or so we'll see drew Brees back on an NFL field, most likely. Uh, But Teddy Bridgewater uh, gets a real chance here to uh, make a name for himself. Uh, Obviously, a guy who came into the league with a lot of hype and a lot of hope and for good reason and had uh, a really uh, unfortunate, gruesome injury rob him of those early years in Minnesota. Uh, He went 17 for 30 for 165 yards, five and a half yards per attempt after taking over for Breeze in the Saints' loss to the Rams uh, in Week 2. 
Uh, I guess the best way to get into this is if you are in a super flex league and now you've got Bridgewater and Mason Rudolph out there, which one are you going after first? I, I've been on the down. I've been, you know, the naysayer on Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, I've never really, you know, bought into the hype on him that he is like the best backup quarterback out there. And if he ever gets this opportunity, uh, you know, we're going to see that and, and, I just, I'm not a big fan of his, I don't like his throwing style. I think he has a slow release. He's not super mobile. Uh, I think this is bad news for the Saints. And if I was going between Rudolph and Bridgewater, I would want Rudolph. Um, so that's that's kind of where I'm at. I think, you know, this is problematic for Michael Thomas owners. I think mm-hmm. it's going to be a little bit of a bummer for Alvin Kamara owners because Kamara's lived in the red zone. And I have to think that this is going to bring this offense down a little bit. And those opportunities are going to be fewer and farther between. Yeah. If you're looking for a little bit of discussion on that, uh, one of our other podcasts here, the throwback, they, in their episode also uh, recorded and published today, they talked about not only the injuries to Roethlisberger and Bridgewater, but the effect it has on guys like Juju Smith-Schuster, Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara. So definitely check that out for that sort of reaction. We'll likely get into that as well in the ranking show on Wednesday. Brandon, let's consider a couple of uh, short-term guys, really short-term guys, quarterbacks and defenses to stream to wrap up this edition of Wire to Wire. Um, I'll let you go first. Which uh, quarterback are you uh, looking to stream here in week three? Uh, I'll go with Jimmy Garoppolo. We've talked about his receivers, Debo Samuel, Marquise Goodwin. You got George Kittle, obviously. Raheem Mostert's able to make big plays in the passing game out of the backfield. And Garoppolo coming off a nice game against Cincinnati. I just watched Seattle play Pittsburgh, and you can throw on these Pittsburgh Steelers. We've seen that from Seattle with Russell Wilson go for 300 yards, three touchdowns. Tom Brady absolutely picked apart uh, the Steelers defense. So, Jimmy Garoppolo looking like he's kind of shaken off that preseason, those preseason problems. And, uh, you know, even week one, he was, wasn't looking great, but he's coming off a really nice effort and there's some confidence going into this home game against Pittsburgh. So I like that one a lot from the streaming standpoint. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think he's one of the best streaming options. Uh, I'm going to go with another one of our stream champions. Talked about him in week one. Came through for the most part in a fantasy perspective. Talked about him in week two. Came through yet again. And I don't see him not coming through in week three. Josh Allen and the Bills, they uh, get their home opener. They finally get out of the uh, New York City area after playing at the Jets and at the Giants. They're at home in week three against the Cincinnati Bengals. We've already talked about them a few times, uh, how how friendly of a defense they've been, both through the air and on the ground uh, against their two opponents here. This season, Josh Allen, uh, 507 yards, two touchdowns through the air uh, on the year. Rushing stats, there they are, uh, 59 yards and two touchdowns on the ground on 17 carries. We know that that's what Josh Allen brings to the table. Uh, really like him against the Bengals. And, and you know we've talked about him a lot in wire to wire so far this season. I think Josh Allen's going to be a guy who we're not talking about in this space too much more because just uh, does too much and has too diverse of a skill set in the modern NFL for him to be someone who we uh, are able to stream. He should be someone who's owned in most leagues. You agree there? Well, and it's going to happen because Roethlisberger and Drew Brees are out. And so, you know, we talk about the owners aren't going to go out in a lot of these 12 team leagues and pick up Rudolph or Teddy Bridgewater. They're going to go grab Josh Allen. So I think we're going to get to that point next week. Yeah, it's going to be our last time. So uh, I guess we'll we'll bid you adieu uh, from wire to wire, (laughs) Josh Allen. But uh, definitely one more good week to stream him here against the Bengals. Also throw out the quarterback on the other side of that game, Andy Dalton. It's a tough spot at Buffalo. 
but Zach Taylor has really uh, remade this offense in his image. Andy Dalton uh, is on pace for something like 740 uh, attempts this year. I'll give a hat tip to our pal Andy Barons from Yahoo. I saw him tweet that stat out earlier this morning. Uh, but uh, Andy Dalton uh, has been effective in both games, certainly from a fantasy perspective. He's throwing the ball a ton, uh, not really hurt at all, at least his bottom line without A.J. Green, and think that uh, that could be a, a game where he puts the ball in the air another 35 or 40 times. So if Allen is owned, if uh, the Breeze or Roethlisberger owner beats you to him, or you know, they both beat you to Allen and Garoppolo, Andy Dalton, definitely someone to consider uh, as a stream quarterback in week three. How about the defenses, Brandon? Who's uh, your favorite defense uh, coming up this week? Well, you're going to talk about my probably my favorite one that's available. So I'm going to throw out a different one. I'm going to go. Uh, you, I don't think I told you I was going to go this direction, but I'm going to go with the Arizona Cardinals. Oh, yeah, interesting. Home game, against, home game against the Carolina Panthers and Cam Newton. Uh, you know, the the Cardinals came away with, in that game against the Ravens. They did a pretty decent job against Lamar Jackson. Lamar got his numbers, but overall, holding that Ravens offense to 23 points, uh, not a bad way to go. And I like. This Carolina Panthers offense has been the seventh most generous in fantasy with Cam Newton directing it. Uh, They've been sacked six times, three fumbles, uh, an interception. So at home, I think there might be some opportunities to get some turnovers against Cam Newton or at least some sacks. Yeah, Cam does not look right, and he'll have 10 days off between uh, the Thursday night loss to Tampa last week and the game at Arizona this week. But I was when I was going through our uh, possibilities uh, for this segment uh, last night, I was surprised how much I liked Arizona uh, when, I, when I first saw them. So definitely a team who I would be willing to go after if they were sitting out there for me. My top defense to stream this week, it's the Green Bay Packers against the Denver Broncos. Uh, Green Bay has looked uh, pretty solid on the defensive side of the ball in their first two games. Wins over the Bears and the Vikings. Two huge wins uh, for this team, certainly. Now they get a home matchup with a Joe Flacco-led Denver Broncos offense, one that has not been particularly effective in either of its first two games. Uh, this is really just picking on an, a, 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 you know, a mediocre at best quarterback going on the road. This is a really nice spot for the Packers. I haven't seen a line for this game. Obviously, it's out, but I'm certain that the Packers are well, probably – touchdown maybe seven and a half point favorites in this game so really like that sort of context for a defense to stream give me the green bay packers they'll be the first team i go after uh, in any of my leagues uh, if uh, where i'm needing uh, some help at defense if i can't get them if i can't get arizona I like Washington also. Uh, Mitch Trubisky in the Chicago offense has been listless, even maybe even worse than listless. They just look totally rudderless. Like they don't have a plan out there on the field. So I think that's an offense that maybe it doesn't, maybe that matchup doesn't jump out at you, but I think we can pick on the Chicago offense, at least in the short term. Yeah, and Matt Matt Nagy uh, avoided some serious heat this week by getting that that victory. But uh, I was just imagining how bad it was going to be in Chicago this week had they lost that game. And somehow, miraculously, they were able to pull themselves out of the fire. Yeah, an awfully fortuitous uh, roughing the passer call yeah. and then uh, a pretty friend. It was like a like an NBA style, like the Bears called a timeout with 0.4 seconds on the clock. Yeah, exactly. And and the Bears got a kicker now, man. Hey, yeah. That was a, that was a pretty clutch kick. So. Yeah, lost in the shuffle of this uh offensive uh, malaise so far this season has been Eddie Pinheiro uh drilling 4 for 4 uh so far yeah. this season a couple of 50-yarders in the thin air of Denver, so uh, definitely someone who maybe we want to put on our fantasy radar as well. And if ending a waiver wire podcast with a little <laughs> bit of kicker talk isn't totally on brand, 
I don't know what is, Funston. Thank you for listening uh, to Wire to Wire here on a Monday. If anything happens in the Monday night game between Cleveland and the Jets, that requires our attention. We will be back and uh, throw a little addendum onto this on Tuesday morning. But we assume that uh, you will be taking this into your uh, waiver bids here over the next couple of days. Be sure also to check out Jake Seeley's waiver column that will be up on the site tomorrow morning, actually midnight tonight, Eastern time, if you are awake. So you can check that out. Then as well, you can follow Brandon on Twitter at Brandon Funston. You can follow me at M. Beller. And again, just to remind you, 40% off a subscription to The Athletic for a year if you go to theathletic.com slash wire to wire. Thanks for listening. Good luck with your fab bids. We'll be back with you with our Friday subscribers only show uh, on wire to wire. And again, with a full look at the waiver wire going into week four next Monday. Hey there, Wire to Wire listeners. We are excited to share some big news. Our team here at The Athletic and our friends at Wondry just launched a brand new daily sports show called The Lead that we know you are going to love. The Lead is the first daily sports news podcast that will cover everything from the world stage to the hometown. With the help of The Athletic's more than 400 sports writers and editors, co-hosts Kavitha Davidson and Anders Kelto will bring you sports news up close and personal each weekday morning. You're about to hear a preview of The Lead. Subscribe to The Lead on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now so you don't miss an episode. There's also a link in the episode notes that will take you there. And check out theathletic.com slash the lead to read stories featured on The Lead. You can follow sports through sound bites or the full story. From up in the press box or down on the sidelines. What do you want to accomplish this year? Actually, I want to accomplish getting on this team first. This fall, a new daily podcast brings you closer to the sports stories that matter. Stories about players. A guy like Zion just represents that hope of the failures of the past don't matter because we've got this guy now. That's the buzzer. Stories about hometowns. You will see hundreds of people wearing number 32 Simpson jerseys uh, in the stands on Sunday afternoons for a Bills home game. And stories about the teams you love. This was the first chance for all those baseball fans to see their guy. From The Athletic, home to the best storytelling in sports. And Wondery, the company behind Sports Wars and Gladiator. I'm Kavitha Davidson. And I'm Anders Kelto. Introducing The Lead. Go beyond the box score five days a week. This isn't a story where you go to some place and interview the athlete and go home. It stays with you. Are you kidding me? I have never seen anything like that. The lead premieres September 16th on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. Oh, what a The lead. Sports up close.